0: I would like to acknowledge the Goringai people and pay my respects to the Elders, both past and present. The Goringai people are the traditional owners of this land where we meet today. We are joined by the incredible Colin Irwin, hailing all the way from Northern Ireland. Thanks to the wonders of technology, we get to dive into the world of this multifaceted artist, a folk singer, songwriter storyteller, recording artist and author. Colin not only excels in the captivating art of storytelling but also shares his expertise in teaching others to master this
1: craft. Welcome to Sharing Stories, Changing Lives. The host, Karen Sander, has the privilege of interviewing individuals from all walks of life, each with their own powerful and inspiring stories. The guests share their life experiences, and in doing so, they celebrate the transformative magic of storytelling. To learn more, visit www.thestoryroom.au and explore the private membership area, The Backstage Pass, Welcome Colin Irwin to the
0: Sharing
2: Stories podcast.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you
2: became interested in oral storytelling. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, how did I get involved in oral storytelling? Well, it, I mean, there's two aspects to this. There's the, the kind of natural native storytelling that we all kind of do in Ireland. and My mother was the storyteller in our family, and I've been exposed to that for my entire life. Uh, from 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 childhood, and uh, I my mother had me. I'm the youngest of, a, of quite a large family, and she was the youngest of quite a large family. So my uncles and, and grandparents were, you know, very old. And so as I was exposed to these people, a generation, probably the last generation uh, in Ireland who who believed in things like banshees and the little people and things like that and so um i i was hearing hearing about these things and and of course my mother was just, a, just told stories Continually, And hers were more sort of family stories and, and anecdotes, but uh, nevertheless, she, she certainly was a storyteller. Um, but then, then there's this modern world of the performance storyteller. And I didn't know that existed until about 10 years ago. Prior to that, I had been um, a, a musician, mainly a musician, uh, playing in, in, in traditional Irish music, folk songs, that kind of thing. But I always would have done a, a little bit of storytelling within that. And um, But then I discovered this world of performance, storytelling. And once uh, I was introduced to that, well, then uh, the rest is history, as they say. It took off.
0: You just fell in love with
2: it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I realised I had always been in love with it. I just didn't know that there was a, an opportunity there to to kind of make a living from it, you know.
0: There's many, many genres in um, storytelling and <laughs> you're not one to just take on one. Tell us more about how you like to share stories just besides telling a story.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, there's many, many genres and, and uh, many facets to storytelling. My love is I was born and reared on the northeast coast of Ireland. I have spent my entire life along this beautiful part of the, of the Irish coast. And it's, uh, it's one of the richest places in Ireland for folklore and, and, and history. And, you know, the, the every. Every mile of the coast here has a story of a shipwreck, ghosts, treasure, Spanish armada, uh, all kinds of things, mermaids, and uh, it's extremely rich. And I find I don't have to go anywhere else in the world to to find my material. It's all on my doorstep. It always has been. And so uh, I tend to stay within it. A relatively small geographical area with my stories. But that also includes a little bit of southwest Scotland because Scotland is 12 miles across the sea from where I live. It's a stone's throw. Yeah. There's a lot of coming and going, it always has been. It, you know, if you can imagine, before there were any roads, it was easier to travel those twelve miles of sea than it was to travel twelve miles inland. And mm. so, there's been always been a lot of uh, coming and goings of people, and people take their stories and their songs and their music and their dance with them. And so, I feel just at home telling a story from Isle or Jura or any of the little Hebridean islands. That, uh, as I do, tell them one from my native glens of Antrim, and those and those stories are all related to the sea.
0: Are you near the Giants Causeway, that sort of area?
2: In a, in Australian terms, it literally is a stone's throw away. It's a forty five minute drive from where I live.
0: Wow. Well, I have been to that area only for yeah. a day. I took a trip there, and I'd love to come back someday because. Yeah. There's so much more to learn about your Mm. neck of the woods. (laughs) How do you prepare for a storytelling session? Um, Mm -hmm. And have you got any rituals or practices that you follow?
2: I I personally don't. I mean, I see other performers, should they be storytellers or folk singers or whatever, and they have to have a quiet time and go into a room and all, do all kinds of things. I personally don't do that. I just don't do that. I, I, I My preparation is done long before that by really immersing myself in the story, getting to know the story by telling it to myself. But once I get to the wherever I'm going to tell the story, I just want to get on with it. I want to get out there and tell the story. I don't have any particular little quirks or rituals that I do when I'm there, except possibly one when I'm on stage. I uh, like to have, I love to have, if possible, not even to show the audience, just to have in my pocket or whatever, some little artifact that reminds me of the story or brings me to the story in some way. And sometimes I'll share that with the audience, sometimes not.
0: I was present at one of the wonderful workshops you did this year in Sydney, Sydney, Australia, (laughs) and you had us all in a group telling a story and that was so much fun because we had to make it up on the run. And wow, what a great way to teach people to make a story. Can you tell us a bit about some of the techniques you use to teach people?
2: All, all of us have, have lived a life. We've all got our ex- experiences. And very often when you're doing these workshops, a lot of the people that you're dealing with already have uh, quite a lot of experience in storytelling and the storytelling world and the folklore. I have always, all my entire life, I've had an interest in where I come from and the the natural world and the folklore surrounding it. So I, I find it relatively easy to incorporate all those elements into some sort of creative process in my mind. And I'm trying to convey that to people. They've they've lived their, a life. They've got all this vast experience of living and relationships and the natural world, and and there is no reason in this world why you cannot incorporate all those facets into to tell something that is very personal to you, but that doesn't come across as a personal story. That comes across more as a folk tale. And and even when I'm telling. Uh, as I explain to people in, in these workshops, when I'm when I'm telling a story that is an ancient folk tale, I I always try to incorporate some of myself into that to make it personal to me. You know, to to put your own heart in into it. That's a a kind of a little overview of 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 uh, what I try to do with people: get them to use their own experience to make something that is sounds as if it's been around forever.
0: Our story was about a fork in the mafia and you were scared.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right, I remember that.
0: As a storyteller, what are some of the key techniques that you use to engage your audience when you're sharing stories?
2: Well, one of the things that I I do a lot, because I used to be more involved in, in folk singing and music and so on, one of the things that I do is, well, you, you, you if, if if you're, if you just walk onto a stage and and you need to grab people's attention, I like to sing a bar or two of a song that's related in some way to the story, and it just instantly cuts through any chit chat, any sort of anything that's going on in the audience. If they're if they've just heard a story, if they're if they're waiting on the next story if they're if you're you're the first one on if it's a if you if you're the only one on it just gets people's attention immediately and then you have them and then off you go
0: on that note have you got a story you want to share with us today
2: A story that I want to share with you today. I I, I always I hate being put in this this spot because then immediately there are hundreds of stories going through my mind. But uh, relatively recently, in the last few months, I um, I got my DNA Mm. done. I didn't fully know what to expect. I assumed that there would be quite a bit of Irish in there. But anyway, as it turned out, it was very black and white. There was no 2% of this or 5% of that. It was 40% northeast coast of Ireland. Not surprisingly, uh, my mother's uh, family all came from this area for many generations. And the 60% Norse Viking I, uh, I have been telling this story that I'm about to share with you for a long time. And I've, I've known about it for a very long time. And, uh, but I, I kind of tell it with more conviction now. It's uh, a lot of the Irish stories uh, concerned, and the stories around here anyway, where, where there are Vikings or Danes involved. They always end up the same way where the, um, the Irish overcome the Danes. The Viking at the end of the story, and they've been all those stories have been around for centuries. This story, they don't fully get the best of the Viking. I like the way that it gives a little bit of of uh, credit, if you like, back to the Viking, and it goes way back to the year ten fourteen. And people in Ireland know that date. Uh, we we remember our dates well in Ireland, and that date that year was the Battle of Contarf where the Viking hold on Ireland was broken forever. Very, very famous battle. The Irish were led by the, the High King of Ireland, Brian Boru. Now, it was the 23rd of April, a Good Friday. Although the Irish won the day, Brian Boru died on that day. Some say he died in battle, but he was an old man by then. Others say he was murdered by a, a fleeing Viking mercenary, a man called Brodir. Whatever way it happened, it doesn't matter. It broke the Viking hold on Ireland forever, and they pushed the Vikings further and further north. Those Vikings who wished to stay could stay, as long as they adopted the Irish Christian ways by then. But uh, those who who refused were of course put to the sword. And there were two Vikings left that had been pushed right up to the, the northeast coast of Ireland and they were cornered on a on a, a on a cliff top place called Garan Point, just a few miles from where I live now. And it was a father and a son. And they were surrounded on all sides by the Irish. But these two men were were the guardians of a secret recipe of the uh, of the sweet heather Mead, or as the Irish called it, beer loch a Viking beer. And the leader of the Irish said to the Vikings, If you give us the recipe, we will spare your lives. Well, the son looked at the father and he said fiercely, I would rather die than betray the secrets of our ancestors. And the father could see that in his son's eyes there was no fear. He meant those words. And so the father thought for a while, and eventually, with time running out and the Irish becoming more and more impatient, he asked to speak to the the chief of the Irish clansmen. And he said, My son will never divulge the secret of our forefathers, and I cannot bear for him to see me give you that secret. Put him to the sword first, and then I will I will tell you what you need to know. And so the son was brought out, and he was executed. It was a quick and painless death, let us hope. But the father fell to his knees, and he said, Forgive me, son, for what I have done. You see, the father knew that even if... They had given the secret to the Irish. Once they were of no further use, the Irish would have done away with them anyway. And if they didn't give the secret over, as the son had said he would not do, he would have been tortured. And the father could not bear that thought. And so when a son had been killed, he turned to the Irish and he spat in their faces, Fleal the skin from my old bones, but from me you will learn nothing. But those Irish did learn something from that old man. They learned that a father's love for his son is one of the strongest things in this life, in this world. And he refused to give up that secret. And it was said that his cries could be heard for miles and miles around, but that that old man took his secret with him to Valhalla.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm giving you an applause from all the listeners. I love that story. And how apt too because my live event is in a brewery.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Good, good.
0: And you've been there.
2: (laughs) I have, that's right, I have on a lovely evening it was too.
0: I love the way you pause and you really show the skill of a storyteller and like I was just drawn in and just the way you speak your sentences and tell that story, I was on such a journey with you. And I I was imagining what these people looked like and the whole moment. It was really,
1: really fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. If you're interested in getting more involved in our community, connecting with people who share your interests, you can do this by visiting our website at www.thestoryroom.au.
0: Have you had an experience where the audience interaction has played a really significant role in your storytelling?
2: I like to think, uh, well, I've, I've had a good day if the audience interact with you. And that's that's really what you're trying to do. You want the audience to interact with you. If they don't, you have failed in some way or the audience has failed to grasp what you're doing in some way. I love to tell stories to adult stories to adult audiences that's my favorite thing to do i get a lot of joy out of going into old people's homes and dealing with uh, with, with mm. children in schools and people with special needs my favorite time adult stories with adult audiences and if you can make them laugh and cry in the one story well then you have that is the pinnacle when you get that level of interaction in a storytelling session yeah that's that's what I aim for if I I can. I I tend to make them cry more often than laugh, I have to say. But anyway.
0: Do you believe, I believe that when you make someone cry in a story, they're so involved in the journey, they're really a part of it. You've taken them to a place that they probably weren't going to go unless you told them that story. And uh, I, I think that's really, really just a brilliant skill to have to be able to bring out the emotion from your audience.
2: That is the pinnacle of, of kind of interaction for me. I know you can get interactive stories where you get the audience to come back to you and so on, but that when you talk about interaction, that's what I'm thinking about.
0: Is there a moment or a, a time when someone has come up to you after an event and shared something really personal that has? made you feel emotional or given you some inspiration anything you know just brought something out in you that you've known what you were doing was truly worthwhile
2: oh i mean i mean that happens all the time i'm very glad to say that's one of the joys of doing what we do i love that i mean i mean uh, uh, <laughs> very often when i'll come home and my wife will say what 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 has kept you to this time, you know, because I've, uh, the session has ended at 10 o'clock at night or whatever, and then you're you're only leaving the place at 11 o'clock because you've been talking to someone and they've been sharing something with you. I always tell people, be careful what you tell me because it'll end up in a song or a story, you know. But of course, some people share very, very personal things with you. That is very special when, when that happens because you have tapped into something in them and they... And very often they're sharing something with you that is extremely personal, but they're sharing it with you uh, maybe for the first time or, you know, or they haven't shared it with very many people. And that's quite a special thing.
0: I think that's one of the really great achievements of a storyteller when you can bring out a story from someone in your audience, something that they've never told anyone else, but you've been able to connect with them in such a way and they've just wanted to share. It's a
2: mm. privilege, isn't it? It is. It is a privilege for sure. And it's also a privilege when you inspire them to want to tell that story or to just tell stories. And that has happened a few times and where you can see someone's potential and they're enthusiastic enough to want to pursue that. That's it. That's a nice feeling.
0: Has there ever been an audience that you've loved, 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 would love to go back to and share a story or do they all, do you feel like
2: that about all of them? I kind of feel like that about all of them. I really do. I mean, there are some special moments, or the very special moment in Australia, if you remember, when we were we were talking off camera there about Noah, Bam, I went on after her one, one, one evening and I told a story of Oshing going to Tirn and But but just prior to that, she had inspired me to to put a little introduction onto the story from my own life from my childhood. When those little spontaneous moments happen that are very, very special, that you don't repeat again because the moment's not right uh, and the audience is not right, th- those those are very special memories, storytelling memories to have. And that happened that night in Sydney. Yeah, I was ju- actually just talking about it uh, last night and uh, telling the story of that of that evening again.
0: At a storytelling event, or at a-
2: oh no, 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 just a, just in a private conversation. Yeah.
0: When you're preparing a story, I mean, everyone has a different way of preparing. Where does a story come from, and that you know when you find this thread? What do you do with that thread to start creating?
2: Well, because uh, as I explained at the, at the beginning, because my stories are all set up come from a very relatively small geographical area, I, my the first thing I always do is go to the place where the story is comes from or where if if I'm reimagining the story myself where where I'm going to set the story and that's my first that's the first thing I do and I'll walk the beach or the clifftop path or be there when the sun's coming up or the moon's going down that's my that's the first thing I do get that get the feel of that place And that's where you get the little details where you see a skein of geese coming in over the horizon or whatever it happens to be, or hear a seal singing. And when you incorporate those little things into your storytelling, that gives it so much more authenticity, in my view.
0: Do you use smell at all in...
2: All, all of that. But you use all. Of course, you use all your senses, because when you're when you're in the relatively sterile environment of a of a performance space, which which we all are now. That that those days of sitting up beside the fire, in a cabin, uh, you know, with a with a candle, sadly are gone. We we, uh, people don't like. Some people don't like to talk about performance spaces and so on, but that's what we are effectively talking about. And so you've got to bring those smells, the feeling of the wind, the cold, the warmth, the sea, uh, you know, all all those sensory things you've got to bring to that relatively sterile environment. And I do that by going to the place first feel all that myself, experience all that myself. Of course, I've lived here all my life. I know what it feels like, but I always feel the need to go and refresh that constantly and then bring it to whatever story I'm I'm, I'm going to tell.
0: Does it take you very long to craft a story or is it always quite
2: different no it doesn't take me long at all because uh, if I did if, I, if it took me a long period of time I would be exhausted because once I get that idea that story that inspiration to tell or to write or to formulate a story it just just doesn't leave me until I have it done and uh, you know very often I'll uh, you know I won't, I won't I can't go to bed with that in my head I've got to have it I've got to have it really well cooked before i could I can kind of set it to the side and, and rest for a while uh, so it doesn't take me too long because I kind of obsess over it to get it where I want it because it it kind of all comes in one piece in my head and then it's how you then how you're going to tell that story and how you're going to, how you're going to reveal the ending or whatever it happens to be
0: do you pen it in this time actually using pen or
2: do you have another way of. Mostly, mostly in my head. Uh, I, I have this walk that I do every single day, and it's to a place called The Madman's Window. It's a local beauty spot where I live, right on the, on, the, on, on the coast. You're literally feet from where the waves are crashing in. And I actually have a story called The Madman's Window. And of course, there is a local legend behind that that place and so I just walk in and out that it's says about a minute and a half long and however long it takes me to to, to formulate the story I, I might walk in and out there 10 or, or 20 times and then <laughs> then of course I very often some some stories I haven't got round to writing down but they're few and far between I, I tend to make a written record of them there.
0: Amazing it's really interesting listening to how people find and develop a story I hear many people say to me, you know, how do I become a storyteller? What do I need to do to get my stories out? What advice have you got for people? And, and also that mm. takes into, I think, a fear of them being on the stage and sharing that story.
2: That last point that you made is a tough one to, to, to overcome, but but in the first instance, I would be telling people to listen, to go along to storytelling events to listen, also to read, also to read to get a kind of overview of of folklore and because if you if people hear a story for the first time, for example, about a, a silky, selkie, it's quite a shock to them that 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 that, 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 that a seal can become a human, or a human can become a seal or a mermaid, and and they cannot take. You can see people physically take a step back from that if they're not completely immersed in the in the storytelling world. And so, to go to 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 immerse themselves in story, for a start, but also to listen to to storytellers, to good storytellers, and perhaps uh, people who are at the beginning of their journey, so as they can hear, see and hear what is of interest to them, what inspires them, what turns them on. And that, that would be the first thing that I, w- I would tell them to do. And of course, it's like, I mean, you, you see it all the time. I've seen it all the time in my entire life with, with people who are learning songs or stories. They'll copy an artist that they admire greatly and I suppose there's no greater flattery in that but eventually you've got to have your own voice you've got to Mm -hmm. find your own way of singing a song telling a story and that that's what you really should be striving for but you can't really do that until you've you've heard lots of different storytellers and find what it is that that is of interest to you, that would be the um, that would be my that would be the starting off point.
0: Where do you think storytelling is going in the future now? Because we have so much technology, a way to connect globally. What are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, we had a glimpse of the future, if you like, <laughs> during the pandemic with the with the whole Zoom culture, which was great was a lifesaver for performers all over the world it also connected people that you wouldn't necessarily have been connected with or or at least it would have taken much much longer to make those connections so I think that is something that is not going to go away mm-hmm. of course we're, we're doing this podcast now that is something that's not going to go away that they're, they're, they're there for the future and they will only be developed, technology will get better and so on. But I don't think you can beat a live storytelling environment. It just can't be beaten. You can't, I mean, I talked about that relatively sterile environment. When you get a good storyteller on stage, bringing all those outside elements and it very quickly becomes Whatever environment they want it to be, that cannot be beaten. You can't get that sort of excitement or uh, uh, energy in, uh, in on a on a Zoom. I don't think mm. in a in a live performance mm. situation. We are we are very much. I, I mentioned it earlier. Those days of sitting in a in a cabin by a peat fire with a flame going are gone. If you can re- recreate that uh, in some sort of uh, scenario, sometimes you can, but uh, but they're gone. And so storytelling now is this this kind of per- performance th- thing. Um, what what you what you see now more and more and more of those performances are getting more and more p- polished, and they're they're becoming very theatrical. Musicians are coming in, and and it's almost like a like a theater performance some shows. I do a little bit of it myself. Story theatre, I suppose, would be the best term that would would cover all that. However, you were mentioned earlier about do, do people ever come up to you after a show and share something with you? People very often come up after a storytelling session and say how refreshing it is just to hear a story without all the bells and the whistles and the all the other things. And I think there's room for all of that stuff. There's room for more sort of purist approach. There's room for this kind of story theatre. There's room for technology and lots of it in a live scenario as well as in, in these virtual situations. I think it's all just going to move forward on that basis. There will always be room for someone who just gets up, tells a story well whatever the situation.
0: I was very lucky this year to meet you and many other storytellers at the Australian Storytelling Convention. It was such a wonderful two days and you and a few others came and shared stories at my live event. But I truly thank you for that experience and being there at that event because I'm learning to tell stories. I'm, I'm more of a producer for stories right now and I'm learning and it's such a thrill to throw yourself into it and have a go. And it really builds your confidence when you you do it and no one's judging you and you have a chance to develop a story. Thank you for coming and sharing a little bit about storytelling, a bit about yourself and for sharing a story, because I know that this Event that I've created is changing lives, and with people like you coming and being on this podcast, we can change more lives. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you very, very much. It was a pleasure. I assure you, all the pleasure was all mine to be uh, in in Australia uh, this year. I just loved it. It was such a fantastic environment, such a welcoming place to tell stories and and. Some of the people that I've met, of course, I'm still in touch. Uh, you being one of them, yeah, very, very, very uh, enjoyable experience. And then, of course, to go to your to your event in the in the brewery, it was <laughs> just heaven. That's great. here. Wow. It's the,
0: it's the best brewery in the world. <laughs> yeah. And it's still going, and it's going strong. If you're ever wanting to come back to Australia to share another story, or if you'd ever like to come on my podcast and share another story, you're more than welcome.
2: Well, thank you very, very much. I, uh, I fully intend to return to Australia.
0: I would like to offer a special thanks to the exceptionally talented Colin Irwin for joining us and sharing his expertise on the magic of storytelling and for sharing one of his stories Thank you for joining us on this journey as listeners and I hope you found inspiration
1: in this special episode. Take care and goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to Sharing Stories, Changing Lives. We'd like to invite you to support us by purchasing a backstage pass, costing about the same as two cups of coffee each month. With the Backstage Pass, you'll gain access to workshops and exclusive content, including videos from our live events. You can do this by visiting our website at www.thestoryroom.au. We can continue to show that sharing stories changes lives.